Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good evening, guys. How you doing tonight? Hey, I want to encourage you to, if you haven't signed up to be involved with the Hope Toy Drive, uh, go ahead and sign up and see Pastor Sean. Man, we can use as much help as we can. We're going to be celebrating uh, on the 19th, where we're going to be blessing families um, with, with, with a lot of toys, a lot of families in need this season, so we want to be a blessing to that. Also, guys, the, um, we're going to be taking a break on Sunday night service for the month of December as it's the Christmas holiday season, and we have the Hope Toy Drive. We have some events going on in the church during the Christmas season, so we're going to take a little break on Sunday night. And then we'll relaunch again in, in the beginning of the year. But we have a, a, a Christmas Eve service coming. We have some events coming. You'll get more information as we are continuing on with, the, with that month. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 John chapter 5. We're finishing up the book as we've been journeying through 1 John. A series called Abide. A series called Abide. The church is the only society in the world that never loses any of its members, even unto death even unto death. Tonight, we're going to be talking about eternal life, that we're to abide in the fact that we have eternal life. I think we're living in a time when philosophically, you can believe anything so long as you do not claim it to be true. Morally, you can practice anything, morally you can practice anything so long as you do not claim it that is a better way. Religiously, you can hold to anything so long as you do not bring Jesus Christ into it. As we begin to study 1 John, John the author, the Apostle John, is going to bring some truths tonight about eternal life because the truth will set you free and we need to abide in the truth. We need to hold on to the truth. So John, as he's, as he's a, one of the apostles, the apostle who loves, known as the one who loves, is going to speak some truth in love. But it's going to be some hard things. But we have to hold on to these very things. We are closing this series as we're looking at eternal life tonight. And each chapter had a focus as we talked about abide. And each letter is an acronym for, for each chapter. The, the first chapter was the focus on abundant life. That God has given us this abundant life. The second chapter focused on the battle and what that looks like and how we need to abide in Christ in the midst of the battle. The third chapter focused on what we have acquired and what we've been blessed with. The fourth chapter focused on discernment. Can we discern the times and, and discern what was going on in the times? And lastly, we're going to close the book with eternal life. Each of those letters represent what the focus of this book is. It's really just to abide in God, rest in God, and, and to trust in God. And tonight, he's going to challenge us about what eternal life really is tonight. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for tonight. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your blessings. And Lord, I just pray that your spirit would speak tonight through chapter 5 of 1 John. Lord, you're, you've been telling us, challenging us as to what it means to abide in you, that if we abide in you, we'll bear much fruit. Father, if, if we abide in you, Lord, the, the load will be easier. They will find our rest in you. And Lord, I pray tonight as we study your word that you would speak to us and, and that you would guide us on the blessings of this eternal life that you've given us, how we're to acquire it and what does it mean and how does it operate. And so, Lord, I'm asking and praying tonight that you would guide and lead us in these very things. We thank you. We praise you. We honor you, Lord, tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking at four things tonight as it relates to eternal life. Four things. The first one is this. Eternal life is the source of our love. Eternal life is the source of our love. Uh, this last yesterday, my son had come down for Thanksgiving, and so we got to celebrate Thanksgiving together. But now it's, it's the Christmas season, right? We actually have our tree up already. We, we got it up already, right? And so yesterday, my son and I, we, we went outside and we began to hang up the Christmas lights for all to see. So when people drive by, they can see the brightness of our lights. But those lights, they need a power source. And that is the electricity that comes from the outlet inside my house. I want you to understand something about eternal life 
His power sourced by love. Love is the manifestation, the power source of his spirit living inside of us so that all can see. Jesus said, you'll know that you are my followers if you love one another. That the spirit, which is love, God, right? The fruit of the spirit is love, is going to power source for all to see. That we're beginning to bring a testimony because of the eternal life that lives in us and what we have. So we have to understand that if this is the power source, eternal life begins first with faith in Christ. Eternal life first begins, we see that in verse 1, it says this, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him, who is begotten of him. I love John. He opens up chapter 5 with the word, whosoever believes. Whosoever believes. The gospel is for everyone. Whosoever comes to him and believes. The gospel is one that when, when you preach the gospel, it means that you're called to, to be born again or, or born of the Spirit or born of God. And these are all biblical terms that many people may not understand what they mean. You know, you, know, you always see in the football game in the end zone, John 3.16, right? Right? You know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the famous verse that many people know when they see on TV. They have eternal life. That eternal life is, comes when one is born again of the Spirit or, or born of God. You know, I, I can only imagine when you think of the word born again, you've got to think of John, the third chapter of the Gospel of John. See, 1 John is the cliff notes to the Gospel of John. So you have the Gospel of John, which we're going to study next year, is 21 plus chapters, where 1 John is five chapters. And so this five church chapters is the summation of the whole Gospel of John. That's why I love leading the footnotes before I read the Gospel of John, and we go to the Gospel of John. But you have to go to chapter 3 to understand what it means to born again. It means to be born again. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus was a religious leader of the time. And what happens? He, he comes to Jesus, not during the day, but at night. So nobody could see him because he was fearful what others were thought. And he comes and he says, Jesus, you must be of God because the things you do only come from God. And when you look at the story, what happens? Jesus talks to him and he says this. He says, most of the say, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And, and there's a conversation. He goes, what do you mean born again? What does it mean to be born again? You mean you, I got to climb up into my mother's womb again and be born again? No, that's not what it means. But to be born again means to be born of the spirit, to be renewed from within. That you would see the understanding, understanding what God is doing. That God lives in you by faith. He dwells in you by faith. And he gives you a new life. And he, not only an abundant life on earth, but he, an eternal life in heaven. There's, there's the benefits for God living in us. And he, he forgives us of all our trespasses of sin. But the evidence of one who is born again, or born of the Spirit, is one who not just loves God, but loves others. That's the great commandment that was the commandment that God gave us was to love him and to love others and Christ is commissioning grounds for believers is that we're it's not just to believe Jesus plus sometimes we think that to be born again that I have to believe God and do more work that we have to believe God and be better people that's that's not what it means to be born again it says this is the work of God that you just believe upon me Jesus said the greatest work that we can do for God is to believe in him. That's the greatest work. Because if it's anything else plus, Jesus plus, means we're trying to earn our way, but God's already made a way. And we just have to trust his way. That's why we're, we, we're called to be born again. We're to love other people that are different from us. We're to, to love other people that have different interests than us. We're to love people that have even different experiences from us, but we're called to love people. And you see that in verse one. But eternal life is, the, is, is, is a love-based faith. This Christian faith, this life that we have, is a love-based faith. Look at verse two and three. By this we know that we love, we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Verse 1 talks about how 
basically we begot, love those who are begotten of him. That's the church. We, when we come to eternal life, we become part of a family. We've been, we've been ingrained in a family. We have biological families. We may have a mother and a father or just a mother or whatever your stories or narratives, but there's a biological family. But when you get eternal life and you receive Christ, then you've grafted and adopted into God's family. We call it the church family. And we're called to love each other in the church family. But in the church family, he also calls us what? That we are to, to obey God, to obey his commands, right? For this we know that if we, if we love the children of God, love our family, when we love God and keep his commandments, for this is the love of God that you keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Obedience, obedience is a sign of our love for God. It's a sign for our love for God. We have to understand that his word, his Bible, we find his commands. It's the handbook of life. It's what we look to and read to give us uh, instructions for life. That's why it's called the Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. Okay, that's what they say sometimes. But it's a manual of how we're called to live. And he, and he gives not suggestions to us. Well, you might want to try this, or you might want to try that. No, we find that there's actual commands to obey in the scriptures. There are actual commands that we're called to follow. Because you can't say that you're born again. You can't say that you're of the light and walk in darkness. Right? We read that in 1 John chapter 1. You, you can't do that because water and oil don't mix together. We're called to be the light, as Jesus is the light, right? But the interesting thing, he says that my commands are not burdensome. They're not heavy. God doesn't give us the commands to, to weigh us down. That's not what the commands are there. Back in that day, the Pharisees had a lot of rules and regulations, and they took the Ten Commandments and they made over 300 plus commandments. And then they made the people wear how they were to wash their hands and how there were certain dresses and what they could eat and what they couldn't eat. And they were just piling it on the people. And even Jesus confronts them. He says, you have all these commands and they're heavy commands that you can't even wear, that you can't even do. And you put them on the people. But here it says, because of love, if love is our motivator in moving us, we obey God because we love God. It was a story of a, a young boy was walking with this little boy on his shoulders, and a man said, man, that kid must be pretty heavy. And the young man came and said to the boy, no, he's, he's my brother. He's my brother. Listen, listen, when we love like that, the burden's not heavy. It's not heavy. The commands aren't heavy. If we're motivated by love, the things that God commands us to do won't be hard, and they won't be heavy. They're actually for our benefit. They're actually for us. And, and that's what he's saying is, I'm not giving you this to you to become born again and then to be slaves. But you're born again to be free. You're born of the, the Spirit. And he's called us to, to, to a life of freedom. He's called us to a life of a liberty. So love makes the law lighter. That's what love does, right? 1 John 3.18 says, My little children, let us love not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We're called to love in a way that people can see this life is authentic and we're real. That when he commands us to do certain things, we do them because God knows the fruit that will come from them or the protection that comes from them. And so we see this command. But we have to understand this, that eternal life is the source of our victory. Is the source of our victory. Look at verse 4 and 5. For Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is a victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Our faith gives us victory. Our faith gives us victory tonight, right? What, what do you mean by our faith? Our faith is, 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 is that we, we trust God that he is able Faith is putting our whole weight into God. And we trust God that he will do what he says and what he promises he will do. That's what faith is. Faith is not something that we hope for. It's, something, it's someone we trust in. Okay, oh, I hope this all works out. That's not faith. That's hopeful faith. But we have concrete faith. That we have a person that we put our faith in and our, and our trust in. And we call that abiding faith. We rest in who Jesus is and we abide in. That's a consistent, obedient faith. 
walking day by day with God. Walking in consistency with God. Why? Because we have an enemy. And we have enemy. And this enemy has three enemies who want to defeat us, three elements who want to defeat us. Here's the first one, the world. The world wants to come against us, right? The systems and philosophy of this world goes contrary to God's commands. There's a philosophy outside that door. There's, there's a worldview outside that door, that outside these churches that may not follow the scriptures, may not follow the Bible. The Joshua, the day of Joshua says that men did what was right in their own eyes. They made up their own rules. They made up their own law. They, they did what was only right in their heart, in their mind. Be careful of those types of teachings because sometimes we can be deceitful to our own self. But the Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked. Who knows it? So be careful when you say, well, just trust your heart. Well, your heart might be deceptive. Be careful of those things that we are aware of. And so there's systems, there's philosophies, there's ideologies, there's all these things outside the door that come against us. That's why the Bible says to renew your mind in Romans 12. Do not be conformed by the philosophies and, and, and the ideologies of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, for this is your spiritual act of worship. And so we have the world that wanted to come against it with its own philosophy. And we get it through different mediums. We get it through different influences, right? We can get it through TV. We can get it through social media. We get it through books we read. All that are means by which we get philosophy and ideas and concepts if we read them. And if we're not mature enough, we won't be able to discern what the truth and what the lie is. And so the world wants to, wants to impact with that. But not only the world, how about the flesh? Our own, our own personal desires or addictions or struggles or issues that we can't seem to overcome or we battle. Some might be physical. Some might be mental. Some might be that have some emotion attachments to them, right? These desires of our body that want things and crave things, they're not necessarily of the Lord, right? That's why Jesus said, crucify your flesh daily. Put it to death daily. Because it has wants and desires that are not always best. I, I think of Corinthians passage that said there's a lot of things that are lawful, but not profitable. There are a lot of things that we can go do out here that we can satisfy the fleshes, and that's legal, but doesn't mean we benefit from them. They might be legal, but they might not be good. Okay? And so he says, be careful of the flesh, the, the battle we have with our own flesh and, and our own desires. And then what? We have the devil that wants to come against us, right? We have, we have this fallen angel who's been trying to upset the authority of God. And he comes against us. He's the, he, the Bible says he's the God of this age or he's the God of this world. He's the one we read about in Revelation chapter 12 who was cast out of heavens and a third of the angels came with him. And he was a, he was a fallen angel who worshiped God. Now, this world is his kingdom, and he comes against us with his demons. Whether you believe it or not, it's real. There's demonic forces out there because we don't wage war. The Bible says in Ephesians 6 that the battle is spiritual, right? We wage war in the spirit and not in the physical. And we have an armor that we put on. But in this battle... In this struggle, there's promises that God gives us for whosoever comes, right? Revelation 2.7 says, To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden, there was actually two trees? The tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. The tree of life will be found in heaven. So we will partake of the tree of life. Revelation 2.17 says, To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I'll give it to him, a white stone, on the stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Do you know that you're going to get a name in heaven written, etched in stone? Your own name that God will call you by. Think about that. We have a lot of similar names. There's a lot of Peters in this world, right? There's a lot of Janes in this world. There's a lot of people with the same name. But heaven, you're going to have your own identity that God knows just you. That's how personal God is that he will know you personally. Now, the thing about heaven is we won't get in trouble, so you won't have, for me, Peter Anthony, for my mom or dad, you know what I mean? You're never gonna get that in heaven, okay? But the reality is the intimacy of God, the intimacy of God is already provided by this relationship with him that he knows us personally. But also says in Revelation 2, 26, he overcomes and keeps my works until the end. To him I'll give power over the nations. 
rulership over the nations, right? If you read Luke 19, he talks about the, the giftings we get when we do our works and we use our talents. He said, I'll put some of you over 10 nations and five nations and positions. Do you know that you'll get positions in heaven of service in heaven? That God will bless you with these positions? That we have a, a place to serve and a, a place to work. Not like we work today by the sweat of our brow, but it'll be joyful work. It'll be a blessing, right? But we have to understand that our faith, these, that when we overcome this world by our faith, our, our faith breaks down strongholds and addictions and it, it breaks down bond, bondages that we may have in our own life, right? Because where the Spirit is, there's liberty. And we know that God's word, his truth, will set us free. And for where the spirit is, there is liberty. And we have freedoms in God. And that God, by faith, gives us strength. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We have power. We have authority when we have this eternal life. We see that here. That's how we overcome the world. But here's the second thing. Eternal life is found in Christ our Savior. Right? We know that eternal life, love is our source. That's the first thing. But now eternal life is found in Christ our Savior, 1 John 5, 6 through 13. A, a young man came asking a pastor, what must he do to be saved? And the pastor responded by saying this, you're too late. The man shocked. He goes, what do you mean I'm too late? What needed to be done was already done 2,000 years ago. The pastor replied, there's nothing left for you to do. You just need only to believe. For this is the work of God that you believe on him. And there's a seal that takes place when you believe. There's a stamp of your faith when, when you put your trust in him. So eternal life is guaranteed by a triune God. We believe in a, a trinity, three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Look at verses 6 through 8. It says, this is he who came by water and blood. Now it's going to get real tricky here. Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because of the Spirit of truth. It's talking about a witness. For there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, which is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. See it? The Trinity. Okay? And there are three that bear witness on the earth. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. Three and one. We see the evidence. But it's talking about bearing witness. Now, these words are like, okay, Pastor Peter, what does this all mean, man? We read these things sometimes, and it's like, you know, it's like a tongue twister verse that you're trying to figure it out here. It talks about in verse 7, the water and blood, right? This is who came by water and blood. Not only water, but water and blood. What, what does that mean? Some have different interpretations of what might be in And it doesn't really contradict it. You just have different thoughts or ideas that what the, the writing of the Apostle John was writing. Some think that, and we know that John was present at the crucifixion, the apostle John. He was the only apostle that was at the foot of the cross when Jesus died. Every, all the other apostles are left because we know, why do we know that? Because when he was on the cross, what did he say to John? John, behold your mother. Talking about Jesus' mother. Say, take care of my mommy. Take care of my mom, Mary. So we know that John was at the presence of the cross. We know that. And at, during the time of the crucifixion, a Roman soldier took a spear and he pierced Jesus' side. And the Bible says that water and blood came out. Some believe that that was a rupturing of his heart. That Jesus didn't dry, die from suffocation crucifixion. He died because of a broken heart. When the spear broke, because what was happening, that his heart burst when the spearing, spear popped, and that Jesus died because water and blood came out of his body. Some believe that much what I mean. Others think it could be speaking of his, his baptism and his crucifixion, that we know that, remember the context and the, the, the kind of the idea behind this book was to come against the Gnostics who didn't really believe that Jesus is fully God and man. That, that how can you be flesh and be spirit? How, how can you have, how can the two be together? So Gnostics had this thought that that was impossible. That everything that was earthly was evil and everything that spiritual was good. And so he's coming against that. And so here, what he's doing is that at his baptism, we hear the voice of God. He's, we see that happening. And so he gives a representation of the death, burial, and resurrection there. And then we see his, John sees his crucifixion. So could the water and the blood be representative of the baptism and the crucifixion? 
Some think that could be it. We know that the, the Spirit bears witness of the truth. We know that John is bearing witness of the truth. We know the Trinity is bearing witness of the truth. But here's a, a, another thought here that as we talk about bearing witness, it talks about the Holy Spirit, the Word, the blood in verse 8. You see the Trinity. Throughout baptism and even communion, we bear witness of the truth. Why do we take communion every time we gather? Because it says every time they gather, they take communion. That's why we do it every Sunday when the saints gather. That's why we practice it. There's a theology behind what we practice. We're going to partake of communion tonight. That we begin to proclaim his death, burial, and resurrection, but we're also bearing witness with the Trinity of what Jesus has done for us. Okay? But I want you to understand this also, that eternal life is sealed by the Son, a stamp of approval, right? Look at verses 9 through 13. It says, if we receive the witness of men, then the witness of God is greater. So if we believe the witness and receive the witness of men, the testimony of men about who Jesus is, that's great. But the witness of God is even greater. His testimony is even greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. Okay, God the Father testified of his son. He who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this is the life is in the son. He who has the son has life. And he who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of the God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. He's saying, if we receive the message and the words of men, you remember the prayer of Jesus? He's talking, praying for the disciples. I sent them out that they might believe my words of who I am. And we proclaim the message. If you believe the message, that's a good thing there. But God... Through the baptism, remember, he said, this is my son in whom I well please. He's affirming the identity of his son. But if you believe the words of God, that's even a greater thing. The words of God. Because we know that John the Baptist introduced us to Jesus, right? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was the first introduction of Jesus. Prior to his public ministry, prior to his baptism, John says, he's the one. The father through the voice of baptism affirmed that which John had pointed to. He's my son, my beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. We see that. And then the disciples traveled with him and they bore witness of who he was and they introduced Jesus to the world. And we know that Christ's work introduced to him. Guys, our faith, this life that we have, this eternal life, our faith that we have is a witness to the world. And we bear witness with God the Father who Jesus is. But if we don't believe in Jesus through the words we call God a liar, I don't believe. Many don't believe. Many re reject Jesus. Oh, he's not God. He's not God's son. He's a good man. He's a good prophet. He's a good teacher, but he's not God. If God's word says he's God and man's word says he's not God, then man says God is a liar. That's what it's saying. But in verses 11 through 13, we find the assurance of our eternal life. We see that here, right? He's laying out the bottom line here. John the apostle said, this eternal life is found in the son. He who has the son has life, but he who does not have the son does not have life. It's pretty simple. He just draws the line. What does it mean who has the son? He who has received the son. He who has believed that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God, all man and all God, who died, was buried, rose on the third day for the forgiveness of sin, is coming back. That's the one we worship. That's the one we follow. That's the one we honor here. That's the one you receive. That's the one you put your faith in. And your faith, eternal life, is only found through the Son. He is the mediator between man and God. He is the bridge. That's why he's the high priest. The, the word priest means he's the bridge builder. He was the bridge that connected us to God, his father.
We believe in Jesus. And, and we know in verse 13, he, he's talking about in verse 13, what does he say? These things I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, right? That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. That was the mission and the purpose of this book right there. I've written this. John the Apostle wrote this book, right? This is the same John that wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote this book, right? I, I've written to you who believe. Just talking to the church, who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. What is it? You may know that, you have, that there's a certain source of your salvation. You have confidence because you receive the Son and that you may continue to believe. Our faith is a moving faith. It just doesn't stop at the altar when we say yes to Jesus. We have to continue to believe that God is doing a work in us. We have to continue to believe and trust him every day. That's what it means to continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. But here's the third thing. Eternal life makes a way for us to petition God. 1 John 5, 14 to 17, right? When my mom got sick, my, my siblings and I had to get power of attorney over my parents because they're older. And what power of attorney does is it's a legal document you get that you would have the rights to sign documents or get things because your parents, my parents gave me permission and gave me that right like them so I can get things done. I go to banks. I can, I can go do legal things for them. I can sign documents for them because they gave me that right. I have power of attorney over my parents. I can sign basic power of attorney is a legal right to sign on someone else's behalf. When we pray to the Father in the Spirit, in Jesus' name, the Father looks over to the Son and asks if he has the signing off. On, can he sign off on his behalf? You know what God does? He signs off on our prayers and says, legit. The prayers are legit. And so because our prayers are legit and we can pray, we can go to the throne with confidence. That we can have confidence in our praying. We can pray with confidence. Look at 14 and 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. Not confidence in me, not confidence in us, but we have in Christ. This is the confidence we have in him. That if we ask anything, what according to his will, he hears us. And then it says, and if you know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we have asked of him. Guys, because of this life that we have, this new life, we can go to our prayer closets or the church or wherever you pray, and you can pray in confidence. And there's a promise that's given here. The promise is that God hears. That God hears our prayers. He calls them sweet incense and he saves and he saviors and he saves our prayers. Come on. That's right. That we can go to his throne with boldness and with confidence, right? And we could ask him anything the passage says there. But we have to pray what? According to his will. Like we could pray for things, but is it according to his will? Is it according to his desire? Is it according to his plan? Sometimes you might say, you know, I'm praying for this, but God doesn't answer my prayers. Maybe it's not according to his will. What is, what is the will of God? The Bible says, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all things, right? Let your request be known to God. Faithful prayer of a righteous man or woman prevaileth much. We, our prayer life is our communication with God. It's our lifeline with God. And we can pray with confidence and boldness. Hebrews says we can go through the throne of grace with boldness in our time of need and he'll hear us and answer us. Guys, don't be afraid to go to God and let your request be known. You don't get because you don't ask. And, and, and the Bible says that in James, be careful what you ask though. Because sometimes you could ask amiss, it says in the scriptures. I mean, you could ask with wrong motives. Maybe that's not according to his will. Or his desire. But I often look at the scriptures and, and, and say, God, what is your will? And then pray according to that will. 
Yes, I want people to come to know the Lord. We're praying for the Hope Toy Drive, that people can hear the gospel and receive and get this eternal life because that's what is the will of God. So I'm trusting God's going to answer that prayer. That he'll answer the prayers that line up with his word because that's the will of God. And so we pray with that. We can petition him because of our access to the Father. And God is ready to answer our request if it's according to his will. But we also pray, guys, not just for the things around us and our circumstances or our situations. We, we also pray for others, right? We actually pray for the fallen. We actually pray for those who don't walk with the Lord. Many of you know that I prayed for my family for almost 40 years for them to come to know the Lord. And this last year, they came to faith. It says here in verse 16, says, if anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that the, he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. So he's talking about two deaths here in that passage in those verses. There's a sin that leads to death and there's a sin that doesn't lead to death. He's talking about sin in general. But one leads to death and one doesn't lead to death, right? Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve in the garden, what? God gave them a command to obey. Do not eat, partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you eat, surely, what? You will die. That was the command and that was the consequence, right? We know that was in the scriptures. But what happens? Adam and Eve, they partook of the fruit. They disobeyed God. But did they physically die? No, they didn't physically die. But sin entered into the world. All humanity was affected by sin and the wages of sin is death that ultimately we would face death. That's why we have death today because that's the consequence of sin in the fallen humanity, right? But Adam and Eve didn't die at that moment. We all fall short of the glory of God, right? But God's grace, he still keeps breath in our lungs. And so we have the promise of 1 John 1, 9 that we studied. It says, but if we confess our sins, he's just and faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so there's a sin that doesn't lead to death. Though we, may, we fall short and we, we may stumble, we may do things contrary to God, but if we confess that sin, it, he forgives us. But what's that sin that leads to death he's talking about here? Because he says there's a sin that doesn't lead to death and there's a sin that does lead to death. Well, what are the, what's that sin that leads to death? That's the mystery question. Whoa, am I going to have that? I only know of two places in the New Testament that were sins that led to death. One, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, talking about the communion table. They were coming, remember, they were having a agape feast or love feast and people were, were coming and, and they were being selfish at the table. They were being selfish with their food and they're eating and they were drinking and they were getting drunk. And the Bible says when they came to the communion table, they didn't come in a worthy manner and some, Scripture says, fell asleep, means they died. They died because they came to the table in an unworthy manner. That's why in the writings of Corinthians 11, it says, take a moment to examine yourself. Take a moment to examine yourself before you partake of the table. That's why it says if you have aught with your brother, leave the table, go get it right with your brother, and then come back to the table. Because there's a sin that leads to death. One was at the communion table. The other one is found in Acts chapter 5. We know the story of Ananias and Sapphira, the husband and wife duel, that wanted to sell all their property because they wanted to give the money to the church. You have to go all the way back to Acts chapter 4 to read about a man named Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who actually sold his property and gave it to the church. But we don't read much about that. He's the last verse of chapter 4, who did it right. Ananias and Sapphira probably saw him doing this. and said, oh, look at what Barnabas did. Let's get our attention. And so they sold their property, but what they did was they pocketed some of the money, and then when they brought it to the church, the church said, is this all of it? And they said, yes, it is. And they came individually to the, to the church. And what happened? Each one came and they were killed on the spot. They died on the spot. It says they dragged them out, <laughs> leaving footmarks. We, we find that, could that be the sin that kills? 
It was, it was deceitfulness. It was lying to God. Because in that passage in Acts chapter 5, it says, why do you lie to God? Why do you lie to the Holy Spirit, the scripture says? They lied to God. Is that the sin that kills? We find, we find that in the scriptures. But I have to go back to the context of the whole book. What's the context of the whole book? Remember, you have a text, but there's a context to the text, right? You can come watch a movie and watch one scene and don't know what's happening. You have to see the whole movie to understand that scene. Well, we have a whole book. You have to know the whole book to understand the whole picture, right? And the picture here was apostasy. The picture here was there were people believing that Jesus wasn't God. There were people believing that he wasn't the son of God, that he really wasn't who he said he was. And so John is writing his apologist saying, no, this is who Jesus is. And so maybe the problem here is maybe not those two sins, but maybe it's apostasy that people knew who was God, but they blasphemy God. And that could be the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is the unpardonable sin that leads to death. The Bible says in the last days there's going to be an apostasy before my coming, that people in the church are going to walk away from believing who Jesus really is. There's going to be a falling away to trusting the Jesus of the Scriptures and the Jesus of the Bible. And maybe that's what John is alluding to, right? Rejecting that Jesus is really God. Maybe that's the sin that ultimately leads to death. But as we close tonight, eternal life keeps us from the wicked one. 1 John 5, 18, 21. I love this. I, I, I don't watch this too often because I think it's kind of comical. But pro wrestling, am I going to step on some toes tonight? I don't know. Pro wrestling is an entertaining sport, but the fighting is rigged. The wrestlers already know who's going to win, right? So because of that, they're not fighting for victory. They're fighting from victory. Their job is to entertain the crowd. The believer is the same way. We fight from victory and we bring hope to the world who is watching and the opponent can't touch us because we already won. Because we already won, right? The enemy can't touch this. Maybe do it hammer time. You can't touch this, right? 18 and 19, it says this. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sways of the wicked one. Now, when you read that, the first thing you're saying is, oh man, I already fall short. Because it says, whoever is born of God does not sin. That's a pretty, wait a minute, I, I can't make a mistake. No. Actually, the Greek translation for this verse is better written, does not keep on sinning. Does not keep on sinning. Does it, sin is not our habit, right? Sin, we don't make sin a habit in our life. We're not practicing it every day. In fact, we used to walk in sin prior to the old life. The BC days, right? You know what the BC days were? Before Christ, right? BC, right before Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 and 3 says this, and you he made alive. We were dead, but he made us alive who were dead in trespasses of sin in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Remember the enemy is the world? According to the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among also we all once conducted ourselves in the what? The lusts of the flesh. There's the lusts. There's the flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh of the mind, whereby nature children of wrath, just as others. We used to walk in the flesh in the world. We, this is what we used to do. This is how we were. But that's not what we're known for anymore. That's not our habit. That's not our reputation. That's not what we do anymore. Because we're made new. And we love God. And we obey his commands. That's the old life. He says, well, he made us a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And we walk in that newness and so the wicked one doesn't have a power influence over us anymore right because you're of God and you have overcome them because he was in you is greater than he is in the world you know that Satan needs permission to touch you he needs to get permission for God to touch you that's the whole book of Job isn't it that's the whole book of Job read it Satan came to the Lord and said, oh, this man would stop. He'll curse you if you just spot trouble on his life. So he goes, all right, 
Do what you want with them, but just can't kill them. Put boundaries on them. Read the whole book of Job. It's about his struggle of lost and then he regains. The wicked one is the ruler of this age. And the world around us is under the control of the wicked one. And the wicked one does have influence on the world. The wicked one is discipling people just like the church is discipling people. There's disciples out there. But eternal life tonight is knowing the true God. That is eternal life. Eternal life is knowing the true God. Look at verses 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know him who is true. We may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. And his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. God has revealed himself to us because he's truth. So if I had to define eternal life, it's defined in Jesus' prayer in John 17, 3. He says, this is eternal life, that you may know, you, that, that you may know, that he may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, which you have sent. Eternal life is not a location. Eternal life is knowing God. Because you remember the most scariest verse in the Bible that could lead to death in some sense is this. Depart from me. I never knew you. I don't want to hear those words. That you could be in the church and never know God. Depart from me for I never knew you. I want to hear welcome good and faithful servants. That's the words I hope to hear. Right? But as John is closing this book. What is he closing it? He's, he's making a statement about Jesus. He is in his son Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Did you catch that? People said that Jesus never claimed to be God. We know that he alluded to him being God because that's why they crucified him. But the disciples knew exactly who he was. The disciples... All said he was what? The true God and eternal life. There's where you see it. They died because they believed that Jesus was the true God and eternal life. And so he closes us the book with a warning. Because eternal life keeps us focused on God, not idols. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. So be it. It's a weird ending. Like you're having this flow about eternal life and he says, wait, oh, let me just, let me just throw this in. <laughs> right? But I love, what is he speaking to? He, he's speaking to those, he's not saying little children as we think like children's really little children. He's not, that's not what he's speaking about. He's talking about little children as a reference to those that are young in the faith. They're young in age. Young in spiritual growth. Some of you might be one year in the Lord. You're young in the Lord. You would be little children of the faith. Some of you are older. You're more mature. You might be young men or older men in the faith or older women and younger women. He's saying here, little children, he's talking about their maturity level. Keep yourselves from idols. He's closing with a warning. Avoid idols. Avoid those things that have replaced God in your life. That's what he's saying here. An idol is anything that replaces God in our lives. An idol can be something we give power to. A person, a place, or a thing. We give power to that, right? We, people pray to Mary. People pray to statues. People pray to those things today. What does that do? We're giving power to those things. How can we give power to a statue that has eyes they can't see and an ear they can't hear and a mouth that can't speak. But when we pray to it, we give it power. It becomes an, an idol. What he's saying is, don't embrace this Gnostic thinking. Don't embrace these ideologies and philosophies and religious traditions and practices. Those can become idols. Baptism can become an idol. Communion can become an idol if we're not careful. How we do things in this church can become an idol. You know it's an idol when you want to change something and people say, no, don't change it because that's the way we've always done it. That's an idol. 
We have to be flexible in the spirit. God, what are you doing? And we move where you're moving. That's what they did in the Old Testament, right? The tabernacle. When God moved, the people moved. When God stopped, the people stopped. That was the flexibility of the tabernacle, the motorhome of the Old Testament where God lived in. Guys, we need to be flexible. Where God moves, we move as a people. What God wants to do, then we do what he directs us. But let's not make idols. Relationships can be an idol. Anything that replaces God in our life is an idol. God is always first. So I close with these four things to remind you about tonight as we close the book. Eternal life is the source of our love. We saw that in John, 1 John 1, 1 through 5. They were known for our love. They were part of a loving family. Number two, eternal life is found in Christ, our Savior, right? He's given us eternal life. He died that we might have life and abundant life. Eternal life makes a way for us to petition God. Now that we have life in Christ, we have access to the Father. We can pray. We can pray with confidence. And lastly, eternal life keeps us from the wicked one. That he can't touch us. We're protected. We have the spiritual shield. In fact, Psalm 2 says he has a shield around us. Not in front of us. Not in back with us. He says shield around us. That's, that's, that's a blessing. We're fully protected. That God, the enemy cannot touch us tonight. That's the gift of eternal life. That's the blessing of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for tonight. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace tonight. Lord, I pray for your people. Lord, I pray your blessings upon them tonight as we have just finished this book. Lord, that this book, we had just gone through this book, Lord, to get head knowledge. I pray this book has gone through us. Lord, it's touched us. It's challenged us. It's helped us rethink things. It's, Lord, strengthened our walk and built our faith. And Father, we know who the true and living God that we worship. We know that when we sing on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings, we're worshiping a God that's alive and not a God that's dead. And that, Father, we know this God and this God knows us. And he knows us by name. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.